What's the story behind the word quarantine? And sheltering in place, feeling a little cooped up? Hey, it may be a chance to do some of your best work. We'll tell you about three famous people who did some of their best work while working at home in quarantine during history's greatest plagues. Here on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a place to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. And today we've got more fun trivia for you on a potpourri of topics as we shelter in place for the duration of the uh, coronavirus. Indeed. We've been digging through books and trolling the web to find some fun things we think will be pretty entertaining. And you've got a very good question there, Marcia. What is that? Okay, Bob. Uh, Mr. History, where did we get the word quarantine? What, am I supposed to know everything? Well, that's what you say, yes. It it is not. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay, quora, 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 quarantine, and starts with a Q. I would think uh, it has something to do with the number four. Okay. Quora, four. I don't don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Four. 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 Fourteens. Fourteen? Fourteen. Oh, okay. That's a red herring. Okay. Tell tell me the answer. (laughs) Okay. The practice of quarantine, as we know it today, began during the 14th century in an effort to protect coastal cities from plagues. And ships arriving in Venice from infected ports had to sit in anchor in Venice for 40 days before they let anybody get off or on. And this practice was called quarantine because it's derived from Italian words, Quarantana giorno, 40 days. <laughs> oh, really? So that's what quarantine means. So it comes from oh, 40 days. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I had no idea. So this term actually comes from a, a time like now when there's a pandemic going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. If with any luck, we can get through it in Quantro what, what would you do on a boat in, in harbor at Venice for 40 well, days? Well, ask the people on the princess cruises, Bob. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of quarantine... Uh, there was a posting on one of my favorite uh, websites called Mental Floss. And oh, it was yeah, about people who were amazingly productive in quarantine. And so I've got the stories of three folks from that item. Okay. And I want you to tell me who they were, okay? I'll okay, give yeah. you some clues here, okay? Okay. This first guy is a guy named Bill. Uh, he's a writer. And uh, he found himself in a situation where he didn't have any work. And so he went home and decided... He would write some stuff. So that's that's all I'm going to give you right now. Do you want me to tell you a date or anything? Uh, well, that would help a lot, yes. Okay, it's the early 17th century. Oh, okay. Well, that lets out, uh, you know. His, his name is Bill, and he, and he, and he worked in London. <laughs> would it be Billy Shakespeare? That's exactly who it was, right. <laughs> William Shakespeare, he did some of his best work during a quarantine. Oh. So he was an actor and a uh, shareholder. I with, forgot that he was an actor. Yeah, he was an actor. That's you know how he started, but he was also writing at the same time. But he was an actor and a shareholder in the King's Men Theater Troupe. So at this time, he was just pretty much acting. That was primarily what he was doing. 
when the bubonic plague forced London theaters to close in the early 17th century. So their rule there was that after uh, after a few weeks, when the death toll exceeded 30, all public theaters, or they called them playhouses, had to be shut down. Wow. Because they even knew then that people were communicating well, this disease 30. to one another. So they shut down before we did. They shut down long before we did. Wow. This meant that the theater industry was pretty much paralyzed in the year 1606. And then uh, after he suddenly found himself without a steady job, lots of free time, he went home. <laughs> and guess what he wrote? What, do you what think did he, wrote? he write? He wrote King Lear, mm-hmm. Macbeth, and Antony and Cleopatra before the year was over. <laughs> oh, gosh. So now, if think about that. If you're at home and you're trying to figure out what to do, you may do a masterpiece. You yeah. may, or three for that matter. Well, you might as well put your time to good use. Okay, here's another guy. All right. This fellow is not a writer. He's not an actor. And this happened about 50 years after uh, Shakespeare wrote some of his favorite plays. Uh, this is also a fellow who was in England. He was in his 20s. He was going to Cambridge University. Classes were canceled. He went home. <laughs> A lot of familiar stuff here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Any idea? Well, what did he do? Well, he was a mathematician. Yeah. So he went home and did math stuff? Yeah. He went home to his family estate, which is about 60 miles away, to discontinuous studies there. Well, I need more than that. Okay. He didn't have to respond to emails or (laughs) video conference into classes. Oh, so he got a lot more done. Yeah. He had no structure, Mm -hmm. but he excelled. He wrote the papers that would become early calculus. He developed uh, theories on optics. He was playing with prisms in his bedroom, taking the light from the window and and fracturing it. And it was also a time when he came with a famous theory. Oh, is... Did he have an apple tree in his yard? Yeah, actually, he did. Okay. Yeah, you know, we, we always think of him falling, sitting under an apple tree and the apple fell. Well, they don't know if that really happened, but there was an apple tree outside of Isaac Newton's bedroom. Okay, so that's probably where he started looking at those apples dropping. And... So he did all this during the bubonic plague when he was in quarantine at home. Wow. A student didn't have anything to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty productive college uh, break, isn't it? That's amazing. When it's you not think about like it. going to spring break uh, down in Florida here. They, no, this guy did a lot. He wasn't, Isaac wasn't down in Miami or <laughs> Fort Lauderdale. Okay. <laughs> I got another one here. And this guy is another artist. Mm-hmm. And he's an artist who did a famous painting that you know and you like, have always liked, a bizarre painting. This is a fellow who lived in the 20th century. And this was uh, in 1919. And he lived in Norway. Do I have to give you any more time? Well, yeah, Norway helps. His name was Edward, but they don't pronounce it that way. Edvard Munch? Yes, Munch. (laughs) The the, the famous painting, The Scream, you know? Yeah, it looks like guy looks... Maybe that was a painting about the plague. Well, it wasn't actually, uh, but he he actually contracted the Spanish flu, which was a terrible disaster, you know. But he actually survived, and... uh, he lived to continue making great work, and as soon as he got himself up to being physically capable, he gathered all his supplies, and he began capturing his physical state, and he did a self-portrait with the Spanish flu, which is oh, one of his famous paintings. I've seen that, and I didn't realize that explains how awful he looked. Yeah, he had thinning hair, a gaunt face, sitting on his sickbed. He yeah. must have had a mirror he was looking at. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I thought, wow, this guy... So those are three masterpieces, you might say, or three yeah. people who did Jeez. great work while they were under quarantine. So what are you doing while you're in quarantine? <laughs> I'm doing trivia yeah, with yeah. my husband in the dining room. <laughs> All right. Now, Marsha, I've got a fun one here. You know, we've been talking about closing borders, right? Because trying to make sure that people aren't crossing the over. The bookstore? 
No, not borders. That's been closed. <laughs> I'm talking about like the Mexican border, the Canadian yeah. border. Yes. Okay. Uh, and there was somebody who recently posted a uh, question on Quora. That's another website that has interesting questions and answers. And they said, what's to stop somebody from walking across a farmer's field into the U.S. from Canada? Yeah. Good question. And the person who responded to that was Jeff Weiner. He's a Canadian author and a entrepreneur. And basically, he posted two pictures on that website to demonstrate the answer. One was a city scene. One was inside a library. Where do you think both were taken? Where were these photos taken to prove how you could easily get across the U.S.-Canadian border, the easiest way, without going through a farmer's field? Well, I was thinking... Niagara Falls? Well, that's water. Huh? That's not easy to get across. No. no. <laughs> I mean, the town of Niagara Falls. There's no. a city there. Yeah, but you have to cross the river. Oh, okay. And that's a big All deal. Right. Well, then Vermont. Yes, Vermont. That's exactly right. Any name of the city in Vermont? I have no idea. Okay, Derby Line, Vermont. Now, I'm going to show you these pictures and describe them, okay? Okay. There's two pictures. This is the one that's taken on the street I told you about. Basically, you just walk through the town and you go from Canada to the United States. So, well, that's crazy. Is that a sidewalk there? That's he's a, just crossing the line. <laughs> he's, he's crouched down next to a, a monument, a stone, and then there's a car behind him. He says, here's a picture of me on the U.S. side of the border taken in Derby Line, Vermont. The gray car in the background is in Canada. In the photograph, I'm touching with my right hand the rock that marks the border between the two countries. So that's pretty impressive. What's the name of the town? Derby Line, Vermont. Derby? I don't know why it's called Derby Line. Why isn't it called <laughs> State Line or Border Line, you know? Yeah. And look at this picture. <laughs> in a library? No, this is a guy sitting. It's him. He says, and here's this picture. It was taken of me inside the Haskell Free Library and Opera House, a shared resource on the U.S.-Canadian border. My left foot is in the U.S. My right foot is in Canada. The black line on the wooden floor isn't a shadow. It's the border between the two countries. That's hilarious. Well, why would they do that? It was built years ago, and who knows why. Oh, they didn't know why where, where the line was, maybe? I don't know. But it's funny. But you don't have to cross a farmer's no, field sure to get to the United States. You just have look... to cross a room in a library to get to the United States. Why would anybody go through all those guards and everything? And I don't know. <laughs> Fascinating, huh? So it's the 49th parallel, of course. It's the longest undefended border in the world. If you want to sneak across, you don't have to do it in a farmer's well, field. Well, I'll keep that. I just read a book that used Vermont as for drug running out of Canada from overseas. Uh, did, did, <laughs> did, they, they, did they go through a city library? <laughs> no, <laughs> but they did go through Vermont. And I thought, well, I wonder if it's not much of a, a border patrol there. But obviously not. If you can sit on both sides of the line, that's bizarre. It is amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's an amazing photo. Oh, dear. All right. We'll take a break here, and we'll be back in just a moment. This is Bob and Marcia Smith, and you're listening to The Off-Ramp. And we're doing a bit of uh, fun trivia for today, and we'll be back with more in just a moment. Welcome back. I'm Bob Smith. Marcia Smith. And you're listening to The Off-Ramp Podcast. We're exploring fun trivia today as we shelter in place during the coronavirus emergency. Okay, I've got uh, a question. You might find this interesting. All right. This is a musical question. Mm -hmm. To what great man was Beethoven's third symphony originally dedicated to, and why did Beethoven later angrily tear up the dedication? Really? Yeah. Who was it composed in honor of? The Eroica Symphony. Yeah. A famous man in Europe in that century. Yeah, it wasn't... Uh... 
It wasn't somebody like uh, Mozart. No. No, it was not another musician. To what great man was Beethoven's third symphony originally dedicated? Now, that is the Eroica Symphony. And why did Beethoven later angrily tear up the dedication? Who was the person he dedicated his third symphony to? I have no idea. Was it his wife? No, famous. This is a famous oh, person. Oh, famous person. I don't know. Do you know Beethoven's wife name? <laughs> no. So, Sheila? Yeah, Sheila, Sheila Beethoven. No, it was Napoleon. Really? Yeah, he admired Napoleon, but when Napoleon proclaimed himself the emperor of France, just decided, I'm dictator, Beethoven became so enraged at this egomaniac <laughs> that he tore out the dedication and he substituted to the memory of a great man. Oh. So he was... Oh, yes. Okay, here's a jazz question. How did shooting off a gun illegally start Louis Armstrong on his musical career? Well, did they put him in jail or something? And while he was in there, he started playing a uh, trumpet? You know, it's something like it. Remember the story of Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay? How did he get started? No, I don't. Oh, his bike was stolen. Oh, yeah? His bike oh. was stolen, and he went to the... He went to the police department to oh, I do know that to, to complain, yeah. and the cop said, "Well, you need to know how to defend yourself, son." And he took him to boxing, Golly. to help him defend him. This little scrawny kid yeah. learned to defend himself, and he became world champion wow. because of that. Well, this is similar to that. So, how did shooting off a gun illegally start Louis Armstrong on his career? On New Year's Day in 1913, 12-year-old Louis Armstrong shot off a gun. He was arrested for the crime and sent to reform school wow. to. Well, reform. <laughs> and lucky for him and for us, it was there that he learned to play the bugle and the trumpet. Hmm. And his name Satchmo came from uh, satchel mouth, given to him by the editor of a London newspaper, saying his mouth looked like it was a satchel. You know, it was like he could because he he could make it big. Oh, you know, like okay. it was a, like yeah, it was like a, it was holding a lot. Yeah, yeah. He blew it up like a blowfish. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, and, and uh, he's also credited with starting what uh, jazz musicians call scat singing, substituting, yeah. you know, syllables yeah. for words. Yeah. But that was because he shot off a gun, a little boy, 12-year-old boy shooting off a gun. So you never know where great things are going to come right. from. Now, I've got some more trivia here. This is Famous Last Words by Ray Robinson, Fond Farewells, Deathbed Diatribes, and Exclamations Upon Expiration. <laughs> now I'm gonna... Oh, I read one in there. Can, oh, did you? Can I get, see if you know who it is? Okay. Uh, his last words, he was a singer, okay. an actor, uh, whom you will, should know. And uh, his last words were, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going on stage. I'm going. I'm going in, Mabel. No, just I'm going. No. Uh, I'll give you some... Uh, he had blue eyes. The question I have is, oh, oh, <laughs> did he drop the consonant on the end? Yeah. I'm going? Did. Yeah. Okay. Blue eyes, that Frank Sinatra. That's right. Really? Yeah, he said it to his wife, Barbara, as he died. I'm going. Yeah. I don't know why that's so sad, but... That is very sad. It is. Okay, now here's one, since you're talking about that. We all remember hearing about Steve Jobs when he died. Oh, I do remember He that. said, well, oh, oh, wow, you know, yeah. supposedly. So here's another similar sentence, okay? It's very beautiful over there. Mm, who said that? Another guy who was an innovator. Yeah. He was actually an inventor. Inventor. Famous. Famous. Very famous. Well, tell me the year. Died in 1931. Okay. 
Well, that narrows it down. I know everybody who died in 31. <laughs> it's only 80. Okay. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'll just say Edison. Thomas Edison. Okay, that's, well, see, I don't know that many inventors from the yeah. turn of the century. He uh, said to his second wife, she asked him if he was suffering. He said no. Oh, that's good. Just waiting. Then he looked out the window and he uttered those words. It's very beautiful over there. Oh, that's lovely. See, it makes you wonder see, what he was talking about, for sure. You know. Well, yeah, but but see, I think he and Steve Jobs had uh, particularly interesting brains mm-hmm. and uh, processed what they were seeing in some way. That's what I'd like to think, anyway. Okay, now here's a totally different one. We always hear <laughs> the expression, nobody ever said, I wish I'd spent more time at the office <laughs> on their deathbed. But this guy kind of did. Oh, he said, uh, how were the circus receipts in Madison Square Garden? <laughs> what year was that? It uh, doesn't say. Okay. The circus receipts. Well, I only know a few. Ringling and uh, that other guy. Greatest show on earth. Yes. That's who it was. And his name is? Yes. Starts with two initials. <laughs> P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. How were the receipts in Madison Square Garden? <laughs> well, obviously his mind was in a bad place when but, he died. I mean, really. That's what he, he needed to know that on the way out the door. See, he didn't have much more of a life, obviously. Okay, now, this will probably <laughs> surprise you. Tell my mother I died for my country. Tell my mother I died for my country. I thought I did it for the best. Useless. Useless. What? What does that mean? I thought I did it for the best, that it was useless. That it, he w- wish he hadn't? Is that what he's saying? He was 27 years old. Uh-huh. He said, tell my mother I died for my country. I thought I did it for the best. Useless. Useless. Wow. This was a tragedy. And he was a guy who knew tragedy because he was an actor. John Wilkes Booth. Oh. John Wilkes. He didn't die in war. No, he was, he was, he refused to surrender. He was shot in the neck in a burning barn. And when they got to him, he said, tell my mother I died for my country. I thought I did it for the best. Useless, useless. You think he regretted it then? That's what I'm hearing. I think, but you know, he said he did it for his country, which was the Confederacy. Yeah. So he probably did think he did it for his, you know. But what was the useless part? Is he saying? I think he was saying it was a useless thing to do, probably. It just didn't work out or who knows. Okay. Yeah, well, it didn't work out. That's for sure. Okay, one more. Am I dying or is this my birthday? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of person said that? Somebody I know? No, a socialite, okay? Okay. Lady Astor, she lay dying at the age of 85, the wealthy socialite and first female member of the British House of Commons. Woke to find herself surrounded by her entire family. Oh, is it my birthday or am yeah, I Yeah, so dying? she was thinking of what would be the reason everybody's yeah. here. And she had considered to be having acid wit. Uh, she had sparring matches with Winston Churchill. So a passionate advocate of women's rights, she spoke for her entire sex when she declared, we are not asking for superiority, for we've always had that. All we're asking for is equality. But when she was dying, she said, am I dying or is this my birthday? It's a sad thing. Yeah, it sounds like something I'd say. If I saw my family standing around when I opened my eyes. Yeah. Something. What's going on? Yeah. That's what I, they say. What, what I the would hell? definitely say, is it my birthday? Why are you all here? Oh, here's, here's one that's kind of funny. I never felt better. <laughs> that sounds like, what's that funny movie we liked uh, uh, with Meryl Streep? Uh, you never sounded better. 
Oh, yes, yes, where she was the singer. She couldn't yeah. sing well. And yeah. The, and the uh, coach said, she said, how was I? And he, I think he said, you'll never sound better. Yeah. <laughs> you'll never sound better. That's what that reminds me of. She said, I never felt better. No, this is a guy. This He's, is a guy. What went, was he an actor or a what? He, he was an actor. It was in 1939. He suffered a heart attack at the age of 57. He was very athletic, and he was known for his, uh, his charm, his sense of humor and everything. I don't know, like one of the Barrymores or something? That, that era, yeah. Douglas Fairbanks. Oh, okay, yeah. He Was he the swashbuckler? No, that was yes, Barrymore? Yes, he played Robin Hood, the thief oh. of Baghdad, the Mark of Zorro. And a, but that was his last words. That's pretty funny. He reassured an attendant while resting at home. I've never felt better. <laughs> Known for his charm, his good looks, and apparently an inability to gauge his physical condition. <laughs> Then he went back to sleep and he died that well, night. Well, that's a nice way to go. So yeah. Feeling good. What were his last words? I've never felt better. Ah. He's an actor. He's used to acting. And just give me one more. Okay. This is somebody talking about her father. She said, somehow I know you're, you're there, Dad. I know you're up there saying, why are you wearing that dress? <laughs> Was she dying? No. Her dad had just died. She was told her dad had died. Oh. Okay, it's Melanie Griffith, oh. the, the actress and the star of the movies, uh, Working Girl and other films. She arrived in Cannes to uh, receive a special award, the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, okay, those were... Uh, Upon arriving there in 2001, she was told her father, businessman Peter Griffith, had died. She she was named after the character her mother, Tippi Hedren, played in The Birds. Oh, okay. It was Melanie. I didn't oh, know that. Oh, yeah. She paid tribute to her father's lasting influence, saying... Somehow, I know you're there, Dad. <laughs> I know you're up there saying, why are you wearing that dress? <laughs> That's, it's touching, isn't it? Yeah. Very nice. Okay. All right. Good times. Last words. Don't cut the ham too thin. <laughs> is that what somebody's last words were? Yes. Who is <laughs> In the early days of railroading, they had these railroad cars, and Fred Harvey got the franchise to put rolling restaurants on these railroad cars. So he died in 1901. He bade one of his sons the least sentimental goodbye in history. His son came to him to ask him, if, you know, Dad, anything you'd like to say? Don't cut the ham too thin. Well, <laughs> at least he didn't say, don't cut it too thick. So he's not. That's trying. right. He wasn't a cheapskate. Yeah. Wow. See, he cared about the details. He did. Okay, here's one. This is unfortunate, okay? Colonel John Sedgwick, he was a uh, commander of the uh, Army of the Potomac in the Civil War, and he enjoyed a reputation among his men as a good-humored guy and a relentless optimist. At the Battle of the Wilderness, while the other men were diving for cover from Confederate sharpshooters, Sedgwick scoffed at danger, stood up, and said, they couldn't hit an elephant at this dis... <laughs> and he was shot. I would, I would, there you go. All right. One of the best tombstones I ever read was in Hollywood, uh, what is the name of that cemetery there? Uh, Hollywood Forever, I think. Yeah. Mel Blanc, one of Bob's personal heroes with all his wonderful voices. Did they, all the characters for the Warner Brothers cartoons, Daffy Duck and Porky the Pig yeah. and Bugs Bunny. Yeah, he's great. And his tombstone said, Bob, that's all, folks. <laughs> yeah, wasn't that cool yeah. to see that on to see that on a tombstone? Yeah. It made you smile. Oh, it did. Then that's what you want to do after you're gone. It was that all, that's all folks with an exclamation point. Yeah. That's all folks. And Can... uh, the day we were there, some people had left a little uh I think there was a uh 
Tweety Bird and oh. Sylvester the Cat dolls yeah. somebody had left there at the, at the base of his tombstone. So, so cute. Very yeah. cute. So this is a famous artist, one of your favorite uh, impressionists. Mm-hmm. He didn't want a funeral oration. In 1917, he told an artist friend his eulogy, when he died, should be limited to this simple sentiment. Tell them that I loved to draw, then go home. My last words, tell them I love to draw, go home. Who was that? Well, it's uh, Monet or Monet. It's Edward Degas. Oh, he did draw a lot of little ballerinas there. Yes, and then we know Drink to Me was what? What artist said that last? And Drink Paul, to me. Drink to me, and Paul McCartney wrote a song about it. Was that wasn't Van Gogh? Was no, it? Picasso. Oh. At the at the age of ninety one, a command to be toasted on his demise. He said, "Drink to me." I like that. Yeah. You always want to think you'll say something clever. He was fond of paying people by check because he knew that the creditors, they preferred keeping his autograph. Yeah, so they wouldn't cash it. <laughs> yeah. So he didn't have to yeah. he didn't have to pay his creditors. Yeah. Okay, one more and it's another movie star from the same era we talked about earlier, a little later, but he was from the probably the 30s and 40s. He said, "I've had a hell of a lot of fun and I've enjoyed every minute of it." That was his last words. What year did he die? He died in 1959. And the heart attack in the arms of his girlfriend who was only 15 years old. <laughs> 15? 15. Errol Flynn. That's creepy. Yeah, well, of course. The arms of his 15-year-old girlfriend. Oh, he he was famous for oh, my young God. girls, uh, drinking, drug he use. Think, That's just yeah. obscene. Yeah, yeah. But in 1959, he died in his last words, where I had a hell of a lot of fun, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. It'd be nice if we could all say that, only have a little better moral character. <laughs> yes. Okay, we'll end up on a funnier one, okay? Yeah. This is another movie star. He's a comedian. He said, that was the best ice cream soda I ever tasted. He was part of a uh, twosome. Uh, what year? He I... died in 1959. He sucked the last bit of pleasure out of life. Oh. Well, it wasn't like Stan Laurel or somebody N- like that? It was somebody like that, but not. These guys were known for a baseball routine. Who's on first? Yeah. Yeah. So that was who? Yeah, I'm trying to... It was Marx Brothers. No, Abbott and Costello. Oh, of course, of course. Lou Costello was the yeah. portly one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently he liked to eat. Apparently. And he liked ice cream because yeah. his last words yeah. were, that was the best ice I cream knew that. Soda. I knew that. That was 1959? Yeah. Yeah. So should... those are from uh, Famous Last Words, Fond Farewells, Deathbed Diatribes, and Exclamations Upon Expiration, compiled by Ray Robinson. <laughs> published by Workman Publishing in uh, 2003. And there's a lot more in there. We'll yeah, return to that, that some was, other time. That was a good one. I'd like to think I'd be clever, but I'll probably went, I'm not going! I don't want to go! <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. Another round of trivia, Marcia. And uh, we hope you join us again next time we get together. In the meantime, we're going to go back to, uh, I don't know, we're going to watch some TV now? or uh, no, What no. are we doing during this time of aging in place? <laughs> Is that what we're doing? Are we I, aging in place? I think uh, that's. I think that's it. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't take any effort. No, let's go exercise. Bro. Okay. Okay. The Off Ramp with Bob Smith is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.